Your attention is particularly called to verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have and let no one rob you of your crown. Now the crown, of course, is a very different thing from a gold medal. The crown that we will receive is unbelievably precious. But as my wife and I were thinking about the Olympics, which started yesterday, we were saying to each other, why don't we watch chariots of fire? And this is about the Olympics. In 19, I believe, 28. And it concerns a Scottish missionary. And his name is Eric Liddell, or Liddell. And he and his sister were missionaries to China. And while they were home for a while, they noticed that Eric was a tremendous runner. And I myself feel very drawn to this particular video, Chariots of Fire, because I used to run myself a long time ago. <laughs> Eric, he, on furlough, did some running, and his friends and the congregation in Scotland suggested that he should practice more and more and more, and eventually the country of Scotland delegated him to become their representatives in the Olympic Games in 1928. It's a true story in Paris. And his sister had some kind of hesitations about it all. But he said to his sister, God has made his dwelling his kingdom in me and I also want to use the gift that I have received to run for the Lord. But something very remarkable happened on the day when he was scheduled to run on the Lord's day. And of course, he knew this ahead of time. While he was on board of the ship, he went to the Olympic Committee and to one of the people of the Royal House of England. And he pleaded with them, I am scheduled to run on the Lord's Day. And because I am a Christian, I do not want to run on the Lord's Day. And therefore you have to change the schedule on the Sunday so that I can run during the week and not on the Lord's Day. Now his dear friend, a Jew by the name of Abraham, 
a very well-to-do sort of a fellow who had admired Eric left and right. He went to the committee and said to the committee, I will take Eric's place on the Sabbath so that he can run for me on Tuesday or Wednesday. And so on the Sabbath, Eric was having a sermon in the Presbyterian Church in Paris. And he did not have to run. But when he did run, you could hear him say, Lord, you have made me fast. And I run for your sake. And so Eric, like Abraham, they both won gold in 1928. Now I'm telling you this story because the Lord of history was watching over Eric. And I wish that we all, older people like myself and younger people, were just as convinced about the Sabbath and about the principles of Holy Scriptures as Eric was, so that we could walk and run and work and live more in line daily according to the word of God. The Lord of history. During these past days I read a few sermons by Pastor S. G. D. Graf. And he wrote a book that was translated, as you may know, Promise and Deliverance. And it has four volumes, and I'm sure your pastor has it in his study, if he is a Reformed pastor, and he is, and you have it in the library. But Pastor de Graaf had five or six sermons on the Lord of history. And as I read those sermons, I was saying to myself, Jack, you have to do more what the Bible says to all God's people. Remember what the Lord has done in history. Remember how he created Adam and Eve. Remember the flood and Noah. Remember the covenant that he made with Abraham, the covenant of grace. Remember all those things. And if you become a little forgetful, if you suffer a little bit or a little bit more of Alzheimer's, and if you know that of people, then go to them and remind them of the great things that God has done. And that's why our Lord, in John 17, prayed for all his people. And you know why he prayed for them? Because his people, like you and I, are weak and frail and forgetful and do not always remember the very 
fundamentals of the Christian faith. We forget. And so he is at the throne of God's grace and he prays for us. He is our advocate. John says in his first letter, we have an advocate at the throne of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And an advocate is someone who pleads for us. If you sin, if you sin, if I sin, we have an advocate at the Father, Jesus the righteous. And so he prays in that famous high priestly prayer for all his people. And he says, Father, let they all may be one. Husband and wife, let them be one. Let them share the word of the Lord with each other. Let them say to each other, Hey, John, are you still in the way of the Lord? We haven't talked very much lately. That they may be one in the Lord. Parents and children, students and teachers. This oneness. He emphasizes this in a very particular way. If you are one with a person, you share your very faith. You share your very life with the other person. You open your hearts to one another. Lord, that they may be one as we are one, so that I may be glorified in a marriage or someone who is not married, in a home, in a school, in every area of life. And so he prays for the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. He prays for Sardis. And Sardis was lifeless. Can you imagine a church lifeless? A church where the people come together and say hello to each other but you don't have the feeling that they are alive in the Lord? Sardis. And he prays for Laodicea. Now you know what lukewarmness, lukewarmness is. You at times perhaps can take it, but often you spit it out. And so he prays for those who are lukewarm who say, well, yeah, I too believe in the Lord. You know, I have to go to church and I believe in the Lord. Look warm. And he prays for the church in Ephesus. And he prays for the church in Smyrna. And so he prays for the church in Philadelphia. And it's the smallest of the seven churches. And my wife and I used to live there three years. And Philadelphia is a 
is a, is, is a big city, but it was a church that was very small in those days. My wife and I, with a number of people, visited the old ruins of Philadelphia. But the Lord is praising the church. And he is saying four things about the church. One, you have kept my word. Imagine, you've kept my word. And you have not neglected my name. And two, because of that, even the followers of those who attend the synagogue of Satan, they will come to you and see your lifestyle. And three, because you have kept my word and because you have not neglected my name, therefore I will keep you in the hour of trial. I will keep you when the world is closing into you. When the forces of unbelief are <coughs> attacking you. And fourthly, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And so hold on to what you have. And let no one rob your crown. And if you hold on to me, I will make you a pillar in my temple and I will write my name upon the pillar and you will receive the crown of life. So hold on to what you have. So do you have it? That's the, holy, that's the whole, whole question. Do we have it? When the unbelievers come and surround us and say, as the devil did to Adam and Eve, as they did on Mount Carmel, is it really worth it? The Lacombe Christian schools, is it really worth it to come together for Bible study? Hold on to what you have. Is it really worth it when the Jehovah Witnesses come to your door and say, the Bible that you read is totally different from ours. Believe in what we have. And so the unbelievers and the world of atheism and agnosticism and all kinds of schisms, they come to you and they press upon you and they influence you if they are able to. Hold on to what you have. The Lord pleads with the church in Philadelphia. Now in order to hold on to what I have, I have to have it first of all in my heart. I have to be born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, one that does not fade away. In order to hold on to what you have, you 
and you, you and I, and my wife and I, and our children and grandchildren, we have to go to the Holy Word of God daily. Now, perhaps there is one here who has neglected the Word of God. You read it, page, turning page after page after page, but you don't know what you are reading anymore. In order to hold on to what you have, you have to have it. You have to have it in your heart. You have to have it in your soul, in your mind, with all your strength. And that is, of course, the most precious thing. Who will let go of what he has or what she has? You cannot sell it. You cannot give it away. No, you have it in your heart and your whole life is soaked by the Holy Word of God. Your whole life is soaked by the Spirit of Christ. And so hold on to what you have. Lord God, and every day, and this morning we still heard it on the radio, George Herbert, the poet from England, and at Christmas time, I send a little prayer of George Herbert to a lot of people. And George Herbert, in that little prayer, says, Lord, thou hast given me so much. Give me one more thing. A heart of gratefulness. A heart of thanksgiving. And so, as you have this possession, as you have it in your heart, hold on to what you have. And let no one be alert, be watchful. I don't know how alert you are lately. Are you still sharp in your thinking? Not like uh, Ephesus that had left his first love. Are you still watchful? Are you still having your both feet on the, on the ground of salvation? Hold on to what you have. The precious holy word of God. The covenant that he made with you. The wonderful, wonderful heart of the covenant. I will be your God and you shall be my people. <laughs> and as times become more difficult, as they are, he is coming soon, the Bible says, as time become more difficult. Because of you have been holding on to what you have, and because no one has taken your crown, you may go to your grandchildren and call them together and say, Grandchildren, Oma and Opa and Grandpa and Grandma, they have a precious possession. They belong to the circle of God's redeemed. 
They can sing every day, oh happy day, oh happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. And so we want to share with you that we have this wonderful, wonderful gift of life, the Holy Spirit. And we want to tell you what the Lord has entrusted to us. And you speak to one another and you share the love of Christ. As I was doing last night, I called this one man and I said, man, how is it going? Well, he says, it's tough, very hard. And I know exactly what he is going through. He lost his wife and he went to the specialist and has this cancer growth and he has to have radiation. How's it going? It's not going very well. I said, man, you have to find rest. You have to find peace. Well, how do I, how do, how do, how do I get a jack? I, I should know. Well, I suggest that you get a piece of paper and that you write out on a piece of paper and I leave it to all of you and myself and you begin to write out all the names of the Lord that you know in your mind. Begin to write out shepherd. All the names of the Lord. And then the Lord through his Holy Spirit will give you peace. Peace. Because he is gentle and lowly in heart and he will give you rest for your soul. It's like the question some of the children in the congregation in Red Deer, they were asked to write out a few questions and to give them to some people. And here are a few of those questions. Dear Lord, please be with all the people who are struggling to find their way to you. Please be with them in their time of need. Another question. I want to pray for my family as some of them are arguing with each other. And then only one little sentence. Help others to see their value. Little children, they need you. So open up to them. Tell them about the treasure that you have in your life. Hold on to what you have. Let no one rob you of your crown and you will be a pillar in the temple. And I will write my name upon the pillar and I will give you assurance that your name is in the book of life. Oh, what a great thing it is to be a Christian. 
to belong to the circle of the redeemed, to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, to have this daily, continual communion and union with the Lord, that they all may be one. Oh, dearly, dearly has he loved. And we must love him too and trust in his redeeming blood and try his works to do. Amen.